With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Thursday, July 21st, 2016. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Michael Agello. And this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. And we are pleased to be joined today by special guest uh, Joe Yurden, uh, the Buffalo-based correspondent for NHL.com. Uh, good afternoon, Joe. Good afternoon, guys. Good to be with you again. Yeah, a lot of Buffalo on this call. I've already had that tweeted to me. Yeah, yeah. Somebody said there's, there's, there's too much. To, to, that we've overdone our Buffalo quota, I guess. But uh, whatever. Who cares? Make sure to have your beef on WEC on hand. That's all. <laughs> And your high blood pressure medication from all the salt. Uh, all right, well, uh, Russ, before we get started, uh, something popped up on the wire a few minutes before the webcast. I wanted to wanted you to mention. Yeah. It's, it's, again, more speculation about the Islanders and their long-term uh, situation with the Barclays Center. You know, now they have a new owner, Ledecky, and and nobody's commenting on it. Like he he's not going to comment about this. The Islanders won't comment about this, but. There's a story being floated, and I talked about it on this show about two months ago, how Willits Point, which would be a very good place for the Islanders. Now, basically, Willits Point is essentially City Field, but on the outskirts of City Field, there are a lot of chop shops and areas that could get cleaned up. And if they do that, the Wilpons own all that land. New York gave it to them. Bloomberg, I believe, gave it to them. And so it hasn't been developed. It was supposed to be a hotel. It never was. And so it's sort of ripe for something like this. And I still think this is a long-term possibility. I think when these stories come up, it probably does give pause for Prokhorov to sort of see maybe what he could do for the Islanders to fix that situation. I don't know if he could fix the sight lines. The best thing I could tell you about that is, and I hadn't seen a game there last year. I've just been there for a concert. It's a great building. I do understand that there's you know problem with the sight lines. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this. At the very beginning, there was there were plans for a multi-purpose place. Charles Wong wasn't interested and didn't get back to him in time, so they changed it. Now, all these years later, they wish they had you know probably accepted that and gone with it at the beginning. So you could partially blame the Islanders for this, and then you could partially not blame the Barclays Center because they had to sort of move on. It's not their fault. So I don't think they can do anything to fix the sidelines. That's my basic point. Now, Joe, I, I haven't been to Barclays. Um, I, maybe you have, and if you have, maybe you can explain how, how the sidelines are there. But, I mean, I remember back when Toronto was planning on moving out of Maple Leaf Gardens when there was still that debate about them going into the ACC or not. The ACC was being built as a basketball-only facility, and I know that when they decided to move in there, they went in and they changed the design of ACC so it was more friendly in terms of sight lines for hockey. That clearly wasn't done at Barclays, and I've heard a lot of complaints from people that Islanders fans are not pleased with this arena. Yeah, I unfortunately haven't had a chance to, to visit the place uh, myself, but 
going back to Russ's point about Charles Wong, you know, not jumping in when they were building the place because he was believing, I don't know if the timeline works out the right way, but I believe he was still trying to get stuff with the Lighthouse Project going. He was. He was. Time. Okay. So, I mean, I, I can't fault Wong for, for not having that as, like, his plan B because he was all about trying to get that whole project done. And, you know, when they wouldn't allow him to spend his own money to build the whole thing, then they tried to do the whole tax, you know, have the taxpayers do it. I mean, that was a boondoggle from the, you know, from the get-go, right? When they told him they weren't going to let him build his own thing. But, you know, with this situation, I mean, it, it it's always felt like it was a temporary setup in Brooklyn for the Islanders because the building's not made for it. I mean, it, you look at how long the Coyotes stayed at America West when they first moved out there, and that was not a hockey-friendly building uh, at all. And, you know, we obviously have seen what has happened with that since with Gila River Arena and Glendale, and, you know, now this whole thing with, you know, them trying to get back to Phoenix or to go to Scottsdale with a new building. But, you know, this thing with the Islanders, I mean, it, I've heard some wilder, crazier stories out there, and I'm sure, Russ, you've heard them too, as you know, as far as what the future timeline might be for, for how the Islanders do this. And, I mean, it, this is just going to be one thing that's going to come up. And, I mean, at least this is a solution where the team stays where the fans are. The team right. stays, you know, nearby. Queens, Queens and Long Island's where the Islanders should be. I mean, Brooklyn's a nice place and all, but that building, it's not a long-term solution. No, I agree. And, look, they're making more money now, so there's no argument there. There's plenty of, you know, luxury boxes and all those other things, plus what Barclays pays them to be there. Right. So all that's working out. Charles Wong did a great job getting the, the rink in Eisenhower. So no matter what, they're close. Their practice facility is close. That's a world-class facility. I've been there. And so, you know, at the end of the day, it'll work itself out. But I think Wong probably could have had this as a plan B and probably could have corrected this in time. But you're right. He was all in on the lighthouse, and he is a real estate guy at heart, a developer at heart. So that's probably, you know, he was thinking he was probably going to get that. It's the way it works out sometimes. But the Islander fans, unfortunately, are the ones that are sort of left in the lurch, you know. Like, they don't get exactly what they want. They don't lose their team. But, you know, they don't get exactly what they want either. Well, I mean, it's like the it's it's like the situation that happened with the Bills a few years ago, where you know a game is being played up in Toronto. Sure, you didn't lose the Bills, but you instead of had, having eight games at Ralph Wilson Stadium, you were having seven. And you know, if you wanted to go up for that eighth game, you had to pay through the nose. Now, Russ, what was it earlier in the week we heard this proposal or whatever it was about them, uh, the Islanders possibly playing games at a refurbished Nassau Coliseum. I mean, this is just all like lunacy. It's like either, it is. you know, either stay at Barclays or build yourself your own arena, but don't go back to the place that you bitched and moaned about getting out of for a decade or more. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how Joe feels. I, I said it the other day, but I'll say it one more time just because I'm from the island and I kind of understand the Long Island mentality. If you give them six games out there, they those fans that had dropped off and didn't go to Barclays because they didn't like it, they'll buy those six games, but you're never going to see them at Barclays then, never. And there'll be some other fans now that will decide, hey, I can get six games there. Now I don't have to schlep to Barclays. Yeah, no, I, I, I look at that the same way. I think that's that's trying to split the difference. And when you're doing that with a fan base that's you know probably not too happy about being stuck you know, being stuck back on Long Island and then having to, you know, take an hour and a half, two-hour train ride to try to get try to get down to Brooklyn. Yep. If you give them six games a season to play out there, you're not going to see them come to town because they're just going to wait it out and pack out the Coliseum for those six games and then call it a year. And then, you know, 
maybe during the playoffs, maybe you twist their twist their arm. Won't work, but maybe you twist their arm into having a, having one of the playoff games in a series out there, which is never ever gonna happen. Right. Well, okay. Let's let's start with uh, the the Sabers, since uh, you know, Joe, you you. I mean, I'm occasionally at Sabers uh, games. You, you know, you were at the development camp, uh, the recent development camp at the Harbor Center. Um, a lot of a lot of noise about Alex Nylander, the uh, the Sabers first round pick. Um, obviously, I covered uh, the the Leafs, and and William Nylander was really impressive uh, in his first uh, go with, with the Leafs. Um, a lot of talk about Alex Nylander, you know, possibly making a bid to make the Sabers as an 18-year-old. I mean, wh- what did you think of his, you know, play at development camp? Or what do you think the Sabers have in mind for him? Well, I think he was a pretty steady guy. You know, I don't think he was a guy that really totally blew you away with what he was doing. It was it was a bit different in that respect when you think to when you think back to Eichel and, and Reinhardt last year, where you know Reinhardt very clearly took another step forward and was he looked like an NHL player. And you know Jack had all the skills and all the flash and everything that you're like, all right, well this guy's going to be here. I think with Alex, I mean, it, you look at all the shootout stuff and he was brilliant on those. I mean that's. That's that's a nice talent to have. That's a good that's a good weapon to have in your bag. I think for him though, his his style of play is it's almost like, and this is a deep reference and it's an NBA reference, so it's probably gonna fall flat. But it's almost like a he's like a sleepy Floyd kind of guy where he does everything really well, but it doesn't really blow you away. I mean, it didn't blow me away with what he was doing on the ice in the scrimmage or in the three on threes. I mean, it, there there are subtle things that he's doing where you got to go back and watch that tape again and see what exactly he's he's doing or what he sees and what he's up to. But, I mean, the, the talent is very clearly there. And I think for him, I, I can't see the Sabres sending him back to Mississauga. I can't see them sending him to Sweden. I think he's going to be in Rochester. I think they're going to let him do his thing there, get it figured out. And, you know, if he runs into problems in Rochester, well, you can just always send him right back to Mississauga anyhow. Right. So. Uh, I, I think the Sabers are in a great spot with the options they've got for them, and if this is, you know, it, it almost makes it a, a great move for them to to draft them because they have these options, so they're not kind of stuck with a situation where it's, you know, he's either got to make the team or he's going back to juniors. With this for him, he can play against men, you know, either in Sweden or in Rochester, or you know, if you want him to put up gaudy numbers again, well, okay, you can send him to Mississauga, but. If you want him to develop appropriately, I mean, if he doesn't make the NHL team, put him in Rochester, let him roll. Well, I mean, that's what they did. That's what they did with Gergensons because uh, they had because they had that option. The, the only thing I'm I'm questioning is, and you know, I may be wrong, but I, I saw Rochester a bunch of times last year. There's not a lot of depth in that organization. They, they struggled for most of the year last year. Now maybe there's going to be some players coming up through the organization that will make them a little better, but. You know, you're putting him in a situation where he may be the best or second best forward on that team, and is that too much pressure to put on an 18-year-old kid? Well, I think I think in this case, you're giving him you're giving him a team where he can really show what he can do. Mm-hmm. And I think if you put him in that situation where you're saying, all right, well, you're going to be our number, say you put him on your second line to start off. I mean, you don't want to throw him to the wolves right away and draw everybody's top pairings, top setups, everything. You don't want to do that. Make it a little bit of a softer landing. Give them those second line assignments. Give them some of that power play work, some of the other work, other stuff that he needs to work on, and see how he see how he handles it. If he handles it well, and he's able to make his teammates better, he's able to get his goals, he's able to get his points. 
that's a great thing. Uh, if it doesn't work, like I said, you can just send him back to junior and not have to worry about it too much. But I think with with Rochester, I mean, that's that's something else Tim Murray's working on. He's got to find some guys to fill in fill in some spots there and and, and improve the depth. But you know, this is I think Rochester's a team that's going to be a little bit better on the back end mm-hmm. this year. I think you know you add a guy like Bryson Martin to that group and the defense group is it's a little bit better. I mean, they need some extra help. There's no doubt. They need some help all over the board, but I think for Nylander, it's a, it's a situation where he can be dropped in and, you know, it's not necessarily sink or swim, but he can really show what he's capable of. And honestly, you want to see what he can do against opponents. If he makes his teammates better. That's, that's all the better. Yeah. The thing about Nylander is it's, it's kind of tricky. I, I think what you're saying is right. I think I, I would agree with how you would handle it because he, at times, you know, he's got all the skills, right? You see what he's got. I think he has more skill than William. I do. I think he'll be better because he's bigger. But I do also see points in games and and really in series, like at the under-18s, where he just sort of gets lost in the shuffle for parts of a game and then all of a sudden appears and looks like the best guy on the ice again. Sometimes he'll score the game winner. And I just I kind of wonder if that's like the motor. Like, is that motor going to get better? I guess that's what we have to see when – and it may be good to sort of put him against higher competition because maybe that's a part of the problem. I remember one year I was covering uh, Oshawa and John Tavares was there, and it was almost like he was yawning on faceoffs. Like I just felt like he was just totally disengaged, third period of a game, and he was just sort of going through the motions. And so you could avoid that, and maybe this would put a charge into him. So I, I think it's okay. Well, well, Russ, the funny thing is it's like, with William, and I think they're different players, so I, I can't say right now with, whether one is better than the other. But in the in the Calder Cup playoffs last year, Sheldon Keefe basically came out and gave him a verbal cattle prod and said, you know, he's got to get going. And I'm pretty sure the next game he scored a hat trick. So yeah. I think that's sort of inherent in those in in that in those players that they need that prodding, that they need that motivation, um, and you know maybe that comes with maturity. But I mean, I I think both both players are very talented. Joe, I want this sort of a little departure, but you've got Eichel, and we're going to talk about Matthews in a second. But you got Eichel in Buffalo, Matthews in Toronto. You got the Neilander brothers on one on each squad. Don't, I mean, I've been a fan of the Buffalo Toronto rivalry for most of my life, but it's never really been a rivalry. I see real possibilities of this being a rather heated hateful rivalry the next decade or so. Yeah, it's uh, it's business is going to pick up as uh, as our old our old friend JR would say on <laughs> WWE. I mean, it, it, it's 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 set up to be that way. I mean, you've got, you know, Eichel and Matthews. I mean, those guys are buddies, so it's it's all good, but they're going to bring the they're going to bring the best out of each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, you know, it, it started with Babcock turning down Buffalo to go to Toronto. And then you you know, you have, you know, the Sabres Sabres and their fans feeling like their efforts with, I, I guess, with their version of the tank was disrespected because everybody lauded Toronto for doing the same thing. Right. And Buffalo fans are like, hey, wait a minute, we got killed for this last year. How is it okay for these guys and it's bad for us? You know, I, for Buffalo, it was a multi-year issue <laughs> where the team was bad, where, you know, Toronto just threw it all in the dumpster and said, forget it. We, we know we're not good. 
this is just the way it's going to be, and you know we'll let we'll see if the ping pong balls work for us. But you know, I, as far as the fans go, I mean, Buffalo Toronto fans are always going to be button heads and oh yeah, very you know Labatt's fueled. But it, it's the kind of thing where I, I think this is this is something that's going to make these games much more eventful. And you know, I, if I were a security guard working the 300 level at First Niagara Center, I don't I don't know if I want any part of that. Yeah, I got to tell you though, something you said earlier, Joe. I think the national media is sort of sleeping on Sam Reinhart. It's interesting because you know here he is, a guy who's a second overall pick. Do they feel like he's taken longer than he should have? Maybe in their minds they do. And and Eichel certainly cast a little bit of a shadow on him, but he had a heck of a year, right? He had 23 goals. This is a guy that's a really smart hockey player. Yeah. Really smart. Like he he knows what to do around the net. He knows how to full defenseman, like this is something where this is going to be really valuable for him down the line as an NHLer now that he's bigger and stronger. That was the only thing he really needed to do. But, I, you know, do you get the feeling, Joe, that people have forgotten about Sam Reinhardt except in your local market? I think people in Buffalo were forgetting about him last year yeah. because everybody was very hung up on Jack. And, I mean, for, you know, for good reason. I mean, he's a, he's a brilliant player. He does things that virtually nobody else on the team can do. But with Sam, it, it's – Sam does a lot of those little things that you don't notice until you're watching that replay of a goal or you're watching how, you know what he's doing around the net or if he's you know what he's doing in the corner or the half board. A lot of that stuff that he does is incredible. And that's something I think the Sabres have really stressed is hockey intelligence with guys that they've signed and guys that they've drafted because you look at you look at Casey Nelson who they got out of uh, out of Minnesota State and you know Physically, not a huge guy. You know, he's not one of those defensemen where you know you go out and watch him and you're like, wow, this guy's incredible. But his his IQ is so high that he's he's basically like having another Reinhardt except on the blue line. And to mm -hmm. me, that's something that this team has has really put a stress on because you know you can have all that raw talent, and that raw ability, but if you don't have somebody to kind of be the ringmaster for him and kind of direct him and and find you know thread those passes and set things up for him. You're kind of in a in one of those shooting gallery things because you got three guys fighting for the puck, all trying to throw it at the net. And you don't have a guy that's willing to take a step back and just be the distributor. You know, then you're you're kind of stuck. I think they've got that with Reinhardt. Now Reinhardt, you know, you can obviously score, but you have it with Reinhardt. You have it with Nelson. You have a little bit with Nylander, too because he's he's yeah. a headier player than I think he lets on. Yeah. And I think that's also the case with Asplund as well because. He's. I mean, he's going to be a year or two away. I mean, he, they could put him in Rochester, but I don't see them doing that. But no. I think he's a guy where, you know, when we're talking development camp next year and training camp next year, he's going to be a guy where people are going to be like, hey, wait a minute, we might have a, we might have another guy who can play yeah. second line center. We might have another guy here who can be a distributor and be a be a two way player. There, I look at Asplund as a guy like Johan Larson, but with a higher offensive upside and and an equally smart defensive type game. Yeah, and I I, ta I talked to him at the combine, and and I I saw him play at the World Junior last year when William went down, and he fit in between Timoshoff and uh, and Alex Nylander, and I, I thought that was a, an inspired pick for the Sabers. Yeah, he was in my top thirty. I really like Asplund too. Yeah, well, one one last thing about the, the about the Buffalo Toronto rivalry. I was in the stands as a young kid in the late seventies and the early eighties watching those Buffalo Toronto games. In the in the oranges at the odd, and I saw Pier Six brawls. So I don't think it's going to be like that, but I no. think it's going to be it's going to be pretty heated, just like it was when Matthews was picked with the first pick. There was a let's just say the boos were louder than Ted Cruz got at the Republican National Convention last night. We're not going to go, to go there. 
Yeah, yeah I had to. I'm sorry. Um, okay, one one last thing about the Sabres, Joe. Um, a lot of Sabre fans think, think there's like one shoe left to drop with this team, that there's maybe a trade out there. And I know they haven't signed Ristolainen into the extension yet. Gergensen's is an RFA. I mean, do you get the impression that there's another move to be made, or do you think that once those two are signed, that's basically it until training camp? I, I think there's I think there's a move that can be made, whether or not that they actually do it. I think that's that's still up in the air. Um, th- there's a lot of questions with this team. I mean, the depth isn't great because once you get past the guys that are on those NHL contracts, the the, the call for help out of Rochester, there's not a lot, right. and I think that's a big problem for them right now because injuries are going to happen. Guys are gonna get hurt, and then if you don't have the guys that can fill ranks behind them, you're you're hurting. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on guys like Justin Bailey and Nick Baptiste and them, and uh, William Carrier. I think that's I think that's where those guys are gonna come into play because they're the next they're the next line that comes up. Mm-hmm. But I think with what with what they're trying to do, I mean, if you want to make room for one of those guys at the NHL level, which I mean, I don't think you really need to do that. Um, but if they want to do that, you can move out of forward. But the question is, you know, who are you moving and who are you moving them out for? You I know they'd like to move out, but I know he doesn't have much value at the moment. That would be Evander Kane. They'd probably well, move him out. Yeah, I, I think I think the rumblings after the latest incident have certainly told that there's there's probably a feeling there that they they could they maybe they might want to move him. Um, and Vancouver seems like the place where that, you know, it seems too obvious that if you want to give a guy a good home to get, you know, to try to get his head back on straight, send him home is the way to do it. But, you know, Vancouver doesn't really, I, I don't think they would part with the guys necessary to make it work. Right. Do it. Cause I think the obvious move there is a guy like Tanev. And I th- I would imagine that Vancouver comes back and says, well, why don't you take Alex Adler? And I don't think that's the guy Buffalo wants to, wants to bring back in a deal like that. But right. um, yeah, I, I think, but you, but you have questions. Okay. You got questions with Evander. You've got questions with Tyler Ennis. Like where, where does he fit in on this lineup right now? I mean, I think that's a big Are problem. Are there any health updates on him? He's apparently all's well. I mean, he, he seemed okay at the end of the season uh, at the, uh, the closeout, the locker cleanout day. He seemed like he was maybe a week or two away from being able to play, but okay. um, you know, we'll see how he fits into camp. It was pretty clear last season he didn't work with Jack Eichel very well, you know whether it was you know fighting for the puck or, or whatever it was. But that, those two on a line together was it was oil and water. Um, so at, at that point you're basically penciling in. I don't think we've ever had an oil and water line in hockey. That'd be good. <laughs> they never work, so you you got to keep them separated. Um, but I think but but then you're kind of stuck because then it's like all right, well you put Ennis on your third line. Well that seems like a waste. But then you're thinking, all right, well, the only other spot with them is to put them with O'Reilly and Kane on the first line, and then it's like, well, then you're putting Kyle Oposo with Reinhardt and Eichel, and then you know maybe you got Reinhardt playing offside, maybe you got Oposo playing on the left side. I mean, nice problems to have, but you got to know what Tyler Ennis is going to be able to do next season. I think that's yeah. that's something they got to find out real fast because if it doesn't work, then you got to move them, and at that point you're selling really low. So I think there's a lot of things that can be done. It's just a matter of what they decide is an, an absolutely pressing need. I mean, it, you're looking at a situation right now where, I guess, geez, maybe Justin Falk or Casey Nelson is your number seven guy, which, I mean, you don't want Nelson to be sitting out every night, and Falk is, you know, he's basically built to sit every night. But yeah. you, don't, you don't want him to be in the NHL just being a, being a roster holder. So they, there's, there's some things they could get figured out here, but... 
I don't know. I, I I think to pull the trigger on one of these moves to make it happen is is a little harder than it is. My last thing on the Sabers because I wrote about it maybe like a week or two ago for another website. Olmark is an interesting guy because it looks like he could be the backup, but then they have Nielsen. The interesting thing was it seemed like Olmark did better at the NHL level than at the AHL level because he didn't like the ice in Rochester. He actually complained about it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. He he was not a uh, he was not a big uh, enthusiast of the, the ice in Rochester. But you know what? He's one of about a million guys that are fans of the ice there. So I yeah. you're dealing with it. Everybody else is dealing with it. But yeah. I, I think I think Linus's problems were. You know, if it was a mental checkdown for him, then you know you got to get over that. That's up to the it's up to the goaltending coaches to get him, you know, to get that out of his head. But it's also a question of you know the guys in front of you too. And you know, Rochester at the end of the season, even with calling up guys like Gooley and them to to end the season, didn't do very well. They didn't play very well. It was very uninspired hockey that they were playing because they were out of the playoff race. You know, with about three three four weeks to go. So, you know, it's one of those things where I think everybody just kind of mentally checks out and says, all right, well. You know, maybe we're going to get our chance to get called back up again, you know, to Buffalo at the end of the season. And, you know, it didn't really happen. You know, only a couple of guys were really in line to be promoted, and one of them broke his hand in Carrier. So, you know, I, I think for them, it's – I think for Linus, it, it's a big year for him. He's got to have a huge year in Rochester. He's got to – if he wants to prove that he can be the NHL guy, he's got to prove it right away. And I think, you know, the way he played in Rochester to end the season was – I mean, it was – Honestly, terrible. I've, I've watched him play a couple of very brutal games at the end of the year. And, I mean, you know, if, if he's coming into camp assuming that he's going to be able to, to be Robin Leonard's backup, it's a bad mindset to have because, I mean, we saw it happen with Andre Makarov last year who thought, hey, I'm going to be the backup. It's my time now. And he was one of the first guys out of training camp sent back. So, you know, you got to do your work. You got to do your job. And, you know, at least Anders Nilsson in his case, the guy that can push him and, you know, having a bunch of big Swedes around can't hurt. Well, uh, GM Lou Lamorello, Leafs GM Lou Lamorello did his best to th uh, under undermine and undercut the, uh, the, the talking points of our webcast because the Leafs PR just announced that Austin Matthews has been signed to a three-year entry-level deal. Um, I was gonna, match is over. Yeah, the, yes, and and Joe, I mean, you were up, you were up at the uh, development camp for for a day and watched the the what I think it was the the, scrim, the one of the scrimmage days, and saw Matthews and the way the organization was treating him and the way the fans were looking at him. I mean, there's a, a genuine level of excitement about Matthews, but this thing, even though it's July 21st, I mean, I heard people last week in like panic mode, get him signed, give him anything he wants, just, you know, they're thinking that this is like disaster scenario and he's going to go to the KHL or he's going to go back to Switzerland. I mean, now I think Lee fans can sort of calm down because now it'll be interesting to see the details on this deal, but we probably won't find him out for about a week. Yeah, it, it looks like uh, it looks like Chris Johnston had just not to blow up your seat here, Mike. Chris Johnston just tweeted out saying he got max bonuses, max salary, so yes. he's getting the appropriate contract for the first <laughs> for the guy taken first overall. It's, it's you know fine. what this it's, is like, Joe? This is like when you were grounded by your parents during the summer, right? And then a couple of days tick by, and they, and they see your friends come by, and you can't go out, and it's nice out. Then your parents want to go out, and they realize they can't have you go out. Because you're you're you know you're basically you're punished and so then it's like they lift it they're like all right you know what and then Lou was like trying to give him no bonuses and when when he all knew he was gonna give him max bonuses because Line got max bonuses and there's no way well Line got a hundred less 
you get $150,000 less. And I, I'm like, you know, this yeah. is not, and Shanahan came out a couple weeks ago and said, this is not New Jersey. This is not Detroit. This is Toronto. When you get the first pick overall and you cannot do what you did to Adam Larson five years ago and say, okay, Jonathan Huberdo, $2 million in bonuses, pick after Ryan Strom, 850000 Adam Larson, Zippo. Nothing. Yeah. If you, you really want to get off on a bad foot with Austin Matthews, play hardball and try to try to get him to take no bonuses. Thankfully, I don't know if it was Lou or Brendan Shanahan, somebody stepped in and said, okay, let's just get this done. Well, Mike, I, you, you can vouch for this. The way, the way Lou talked about him after the scrimmage in Niagara Falls, the way he talked about Austin, the way he talked about just about all the kids that were on the ice that, that day, there was no way this was going to drag yeah. out. There was no way this was going to go through the summer and go into training camp. Right. Like This was something that was going to get done. I, I, I made, made light of it on Twitter, but this is honestly the happiest I had ever seen Lou Lamorello in person <laughs> in my life. I mean, big smile. He was all happy. He couldn't, yeah. he couldn't say enough nice things about Matthews and Marner and, and Nealander. Everybody... Everybody who is, you know, under 22 years old, that's, that's a maple leaf, he couldn't have said enough nice things about him. So, it, you know, maybe Lou's getting, softening a little bit as he gets a little older, but, I mean, there was no chance any of this was going to drag out. This is just, you know, having some fun with, with things, you know, kicking around Lou's reputation for being, a, being tight-fisted and whatever. I mean, he got, he got everything. He, and people are going to, people are already spinning this like, well, oh, the Leafs blinked. They're like, no, they didn't. They just, they, they signed the guy to the, the who, who they picked first overall to the contract he was going to get. Right. Yeah. It, it, you're right. I know. I mean, I, I, okay. It's the daily micromanaging of the Toronto market. That's what yeah. it is. Thank you. And, and, you know, reporters have to report whatever's out there. And there was an article yesterday in the Toronto Star, Kevin McGrand was a good reporter and he was quoting an unnamed NHL source that says, you know, what, you know, what's going on? What are they doing? You know, this is Lou. I mean, no, I mean, this is, it's mid July. It's not training camps. And this is not, we're like, not, not like we're at the world cup and, and reporters are asking Austin Matthews about his contract status. They, they, they actually signed Austin Matthews earlier than they signed Mitch Marner last year. So I, I I didn't get the the whole drama about this. I think I, I well, Mitch Marner wasn't the first overall. That's why. No, but no, you know what I think it is. Maple Leaf fans, like Saber fans, they dream up the worst case scenario. They 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 could just see Austin Matthews doing a Tom Cousineau and going to the CFL. You know, the, Austin Matthews going to the KHL. They could have they could see that because thankfully I think thankfully. Matthews was the number one overall pick because I think there are other players that over time could really get bothered and crushed by that daily pressure of being the number one overall pick in the Toronto market because the fans cause it. They don't realize it. They don't mean to, right. but they cause it. And the one thing I can say, Russ, from see, from talking to him or seeing, uh, you know, being in media scrums with him for six days straight, he's not phased. He's an 18-year-old yeah. kid turning 19. He's been at the World Junior. Now he's been in front of the Toronto media. He handles it well. He's calm. He's very comfortable with, with the media. I don't think it's going to be a problem for him. So so Leaf fans can calm down. Austin Matthews They'll is not. They'll find something else. There'll be yeah. something else. Well, actually, that something else will be coming up probably in less than a month. Uh, and, 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 Joe, the thing was, I and I talked to Russ about this before the show, if if you know there, there's still that thing with Jimmy VC and we're, we don't know where he's going to go, 
the latest thing that's out there is that Stan Bowman, the Chicago GM, has made a pilgrimage to uh, Massachusetts to watch VC play a couple days. So <laughs> immediately that means the Blackhawks are in on it, and they're and they're they're undercutting the Sabers, and they're they're tampering and all all this funny stuff. But the and the Leafs have been in the mix supposedly for VC because of his dad working for the organization and his brother being drafted there. But if the Leafs were being stingy with Austin Matthews in terms of bonuses, that would have essentially said there's not a chance in hell of Jimmy VC going to Toronto because he's right. getting the max bonuses anywhere he goes. Right. Yeah, and I, the, the, I've I've become very zen when it comes to talking about Jimmy Vesey because there's no point in getting worked up about. It. He's got to go to August fifteenth. You know, he's going to go past that. He's going a couple days past it. Probably. I mean, why not? I mean, I mean, once once the time hits on the fifteenth and and you can talk to everybody, why not listen to what everybody's got to say? I mean, right. listen, you know, people are getting very worked up about something that. Literally, the only person who has any control over it is Jimmy, and that's it. I mean, he's he's the guy in charge. I, you know, the, and the only team that can do anything about getting the sign early is Buffalo. And you know, Buffalo's—they've made their case. They went out there, they presented Nothing everything. Nothing goes fast in Buffalo. You could attest to that. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's you know. I, it drives me nuts because people are getting very worked up about this. And, people you who've know, never seen him play. That's the funny thing. The, yeah. the funniest thing that I hear is, well, he better be really good the way he's acting. And I'm thinking, he's acting the same way that every other person in his position is active. He's right. just getting a little more attention. Yeah. yeah. It's it's something where, and I I think it's because it's it's teams that drafted him that don't have the, the mass um, absorption of hockey that you know where these stories don't become such a a big deal leading up to it. You know, you think back to uh, Blake Wheeler and Jack Johnson when they were yeah. when they were drafted by by the Coyotes and the Hurricanes respectively. I mean, Johnson was a bigger deal because he played at Michigan and and you know the, he had a lot of attention to him you know from the get go. Wheeler it was less so because I mean he still played college, he was yeah. still a great college player and. You know, a lot of you know, and I think with those guys, they were just playing up straight up like we don't want to play for those teams. Right. You know, Jimmy. You know, Jimmy. Basically, he's made it a different case. He said he was listen. If I stay all four years of college, wait my time, I can be a free agent. Well, sure. I you know, does this happen even if he gets drafted by the Bruins or the Rangers or you know or, or the Blackhawks? I mean, who knows? Maybe it does. I mean, I we've seen people do it to the Blackhawks. I mean, Kevin Hayes yep. did the same exact thing. So. Yep. You know, this is, a, this this is something where, where he thought he would be slotted in. That's really where it was for Hayes. Right. And, I mean, this is something where I think a lot of the, you know, the, the talented college guys are realizing that they can control their destiny. And you can do that. Why not do it? It's, you know, it's right. not like if you're a junior hockey player and you're basically stuck. Cause but this loophole is going to get closed, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah it, it's, it's something that will get worked out in, I don't know, what, four or five years whenever the uh, – Whenever the CBA is up again, I mean, it's it's something where that I mean they'll work on that, but you know, I think if I were a college player in the same shoes, I mean, you know, if you weren't exactly excited about this, you know, the the team that drafted you, then why not just you know you can go to college for four years, get a degree, play hockey all four years, maybe win uh, a Hobie Baker, maybe win some big awards, maybe win a title or two, who knows? Yeah, why not take a chance? Done the team a favor that drafted him, like. The story, there's a legend that goes with Mark McGuire that he literally walked up to the Mets and said, don't draft me. And so the Mets went with Billy Bean instead. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, 
course the Mets went with Billy Bean. They drafted a GM instead of a player. But the point is, <laughs> but but the point is, if a player would just say that to these teams, they probably wouldn't draft the kid. Well, the last one that did that was Eric Lindros, and before right. that was Craig Simpson in 1985. So, but but no, you know the thing is, I mean, I agree. Still drafted him. He right. let him know, and they drafted him like they shouldn't have. Well, and and you know it's his right. And the the funny thing is, he's taking advantage of the fact he won a Hobie Baker. He's one of the most desirable players that come out, have come out of the NCAA in a long time. And I mentioned to you before, Russ, a kid like Tony Cameronese, a Maple Leaf draft pick from I think five years ago, who you know finished his four years at Minnesota Duluth, and he had the same opportunity to uh, August fifteenth to be an unrestricted free agent. But he ended up signing an AHL contract with the uh, the Toronto Marlies. Now maybe he sees opportunity in the Leafs organization, but he didn't have sort of the you know the the resume of a Jimmy VC to say, okay, I'm going to go free agency and I'm going to go wherever I want to go because maybe the market would have been would have been out there. But for VC, you know, you're telling me that there's not 29 teams that are going to want him on August 15th. Well, I, here's the thing. I mean, Alex Lyon did the same thing with the Flyers. And he was a really good college goalie, but the issue is there's only 60 NHL jobs, and then there's only another 60 AHL jobs, and that's it for goalie jobs in pretty much in North America that matter, right? And so when you look at that and you're a goalie and you see that you haven't been drafted, I think Lyon did a smart thing. He basically said, look, I'm gambling on myself. I'm going to go into Lehigh. I'm going to play well. I think I'm going to make that team and get playing time. He knows he's blocked at the NHL level. They had Neuberth. And they have uh, Mason, but you know injuries occur and whatever. And because he's an older guy, he's thinking, all right, let me get into season here. If they find me valuable, they'll sign me, or I've just gotten better, and someone will sign me as an NHL backup. So I think it's a smart thing, and I think more college players are going to have to do that because there's just no, you know, not everybody gets drafted. It's just unless they go back to nine rounds, they're not going to do it. And for some of these college guys, it's a little different because. Because they are older, because they spend a few years playing, you know, junior hockey, you know, not major junior hockey, but they play junior hockey until they're nineteen twenty, and they go to college at, you know, as twenty-year-old freshmen, which is already, a, you know, that's an issue at the college level as it is. But you know, when, when these guys they get to their sophomore, junior years, and you know, the development part of them becoming players is basically over at that age. I mean, you're not when you're twenty-two, twenty-three, you're not going to become a better better than you are at that moment, probably, because that, that prime window is coming up soon, right. and you've got to make a decision. So if you get an if you get, if you have an offer on the table from a team, you're undrafted, you go. But guys like Bessie, guys, you know, guys like Wheeler, guys like Jack Johnson, guys from the past that have done this, they're special cases because they are elite talents that have the ability to, to, to kind of push things around and do whatever they want to do and, and handle it that way. And, you know, for them, I... You know, if they have the ability to do this and, and control the market for themselves, all power to them because the, it, normally the players have to wait until, what, they're 27, 28 mm -hmm. to be able to pull this off. I mean, some guys, they get to do it at 26, but, yeah. you know, this, this is something you don't get to do too often. And, I, you know, for, for Jimmy Vissi right, right now, this is the, his peak ability to be able to, to pick where he wants to play. It's not necessarily – it's not about money. Money's going to be the same everywhere else. Right. But it's about being able to choose his destination and make the best of his future. future money, if you go to a franchise that has a reputation of you know being hardball for the next contract, then you might go to a place that doesn't have that reputation that is more willing to sign away some of those years down the road. With you know, so you have they look at that too. Mm -hmm. Now, now I wanted to touch on you know there there are 
a number of situations throughout the NHL that sort of not resolved, and I, I think after the initial rush of free agency and the, you know a, a deal or or two, like the Zibanejad uh, Broussard deal that was made earlier in the week, you know, things have calmed down a bit. But situations like Jacob Truba in Winnipeg, Tyson Berry in Colorado, Matt Dumba, Hampus Lindholm, RFAs, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about these players, you know asking for much, uh, more money that you know the team their teams think they deserve and maybe them being moved someplace else or guys like Kevin Shattenkirk or Cam Fowler who have a year or two left in their contracts but nothing is moved and even like a, a UFA like Chris Russell who a lot of people thought was going to sign all of a sudden you know his name has hardly been mentioned in the last couple of weeks Joe there just seems to be a, a log jam out there and nothing has moved it I mean I, I mean I don't know whether that's going to persist deep into the into the the summer into August and in, even into September or if something's going to break loose. I think this is this could have been expected. I think I think that that initial wave of free agents I think everybody was you know was counting on them to be jumped on quickly and I think a lot of people did anticipate a guy like Chris Russell would be going sooner than this and not be you know waiting until you know late July and still trying to figure out a destination but I think this is this is something where a lot of teams that have started to fill out their own ranks with uh, guys under team control with cheaper contracts and you know trying to fill out those lower parts of the depth chart with guys that are easily movable up and down the the organization. I think that's I think that's a big part of it because you have you know I think if you take a look around at the depth charts of a lot of the teams in the league right now, you could probably fill them in pretty close to to what it's going to look like on opening night. You know, with a handful of exceptions here and there, but um, you know, when you're looking at a guy like Chris Russell, and you know, obviously he's not an analytics darling. He's, you know, he's he's essentially like the Western Conference Dan Girardi, I guess. He's that's where that's where he's at. But um, yeah, <laughs> for a lot less money. He's well, well, man, yeah, probably. But it's you know, he's you know, the shot blocker. He's not a shot suppressor. He's He's the guy out there that's probably on the ice in those last couple minutes of the game, just you know, getting pelted by pucks. But you know, I, I wonder if this is something where you know maybe maybe like the uh, the internet and the Twitter chatter picks up, and you know people start excoriating teams for even thinking about signing him. You know, we heard Boston was interested, and Boston bloggers went crazy about it, and basically follow suit for every other team that even hinted that they were interested in Chris Russell. And, you know, I wonder if that's something where like these you know the the GMs and them, they you know they're they're paying attention to this stuff. They go into their analytics guys and go, hey, is this true? What are our numbers say? What do they you know? How do they compare? What does it work out to? And do we spend this much money on a guy like that? And I think I think that's the case for a guy like him. For other guys, it's you know it, it's something where I think you, that's where the PTOs come into play later on. You know when uh, when we come creeping up on training camp, you're going to see a handful of those guys showing up on tryouts, and that's where a lot of money. That's where positions can be made. I mean. He's, they might as well call a PTO at least Stempniak contract because right. basically what he's been able to do the last few years is go to a camp, prove that he can still play, play very well, and then he sticks around. So, yeah. you know, I, it's becoming that way for a lot of the veteran guys. I mean, it, it stinks for them because they put so many years in, but, you know, when it when it's easier for teams to fill out their rosters with the cheaper, younger guys, that's, that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I think with those defensemen, these teams are just looking for the highest possible price. They don't have to get rid of any of them. None of them are like in a bind or they have to get rid of them. And the problem with Shattenkirk is I think there are people that think, oh, well, just because the Rangers were his favorite team growing up, he'll go over there and sign a sweetheart of an extension. And it's like, no, 
He wants to be a UFA and get top money and be one of the top guys on the market. So if you're getting him, it's almost like the Keith Yandel situation. You better extend him right away or don't get him at all because otherwise the asset you give up to him is just going to fall in a well. And, you know, and that's what's been happening to them the last couple of years, and that's why I don't think they've gotten Shattenkirk, to be honest. Well, Joe, Joe, the scenario that happened between Toronto and Anaheim, I think, is a similar scenario that would happen in a Shattenkirk deal. The Leafs agreed to a price for Frederick Anderson, but they weren't going to do the deal unless they got a chance to talk to Anderson and extend him. Now, he was an RFA, and Shattenkirk's got a year left, but any team is worth their salt is going to say, okay, if we're trading for this guy and we're trading significant young assets, we need to lock him up for five, six years. So yep. we're not going to trade a first-round pick and this and that and this and that for Shattenkirk unless we have a guarantee that he's going to sign a deal. And I, I don't think like it's in his interest to sign a deal. If he has a good year and goes out as a 28-year-old defensive free agent, he could make seven, seven $7.5 million. Yeah, and I think, for, I think for a guy like Shattenkirk, I mean, you look at it, you got Vegas coming in soon, which means the cap's going to go up. So, right. so teams that are known for spending money and that are going to need defensemen, like the Rangers, can have a little extra cash on on hand to be able to spend on a guy like him. So, I, to me, there's no motivation. I mean, if if yeah. anything, if anything, I mean, you're waiting for that cap to go up for for expansion. You wait maybe another year. Maybe you sign a one year deal and say, listen, I'm intent on going UFA. I want to get my money. Right. And Teams probably might not want to do that, but if that's what it takes, so be it. You know, but like, I, I think this that that's a situation where I think St. Louis might be over a barrel on this because it turns into a situation where if they need to move them, you almost have to wait till the deadline to do it to to, yes. to make them a rental and try to get whatever you can because I don't I can't picture a team paying a huge price now. Knowing full well that he's not going to sign an extension. No, and everybody saw what happened with the angle, and that's that was sort of the scenario I figured was going to happen. But you never know; things could happen. You know, and and now teams are in this day and age can't afford to do that more than a couple of times. You but Yandel, but Yandel had a year left when they when. No, I know that, but even even with that year left, yeah, that was the big selling point. And it's like, well, you gave up a prospect and a lot of picks right. for that extra year, and then that extra year when that fizzled. Turned into nothing, and they, you know, they didn't get good value back. Now, the other thing that's popped up this summer, and to me, going forward for general managers, this is a big concern: the 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 preponderance of signing bonus in these recent contracts. You know, deals like Lucic, Oposo had heavy signing bonus. Uh, uh, Stamkos, Jamie Ben, you know. People consider this basically buyout protection because when they go to buy, if they want to buy out these players deep into their contracts, you know that that amount is not able to be spread out over double the amount of years. So, but teams are going to put themselves in trouble in this in the sense that they're signing deals right now that they unless they can find a trade partner, they can't get rid of off of their cap, and they're really restricting themselves down the line. I mean, I mean, a lot of people, Joe. Criticize the Maple Leafs for doing this with David Clarkson, and nobody has learned the lesson. I mean, I, I mean, do you, do you? I mean, do you understand? I mean, I, I don't understand why general managers are going down this road. Well, I think they're kind of stuck. I, I think they're, I think they're in a position where, you know, the, I, I think the the players, if they're signing long term contracts, and I mean, we're creeping up on. You know some of these, you know these seven, eight-year deals. If you're signing them, 
-hmm. you're creeping up on the end of the the CBA, so you got to so these guys want to make sure that you know when that comes to an end, they're going to get you know get their money. And I I don't I don't blame them for doing that, but it's you know it, it's stuff like this that's happened in the past where it seems like they've you know they've either created or stumbled on a new loophole for right. for teams to be able to to use and and to be able to get these guys and. You know, I, I think even when you look at Ryan O'Reilly's contract last year, that's the same kind of thing. He's huge bonuses, and his actual salary per year is like a million a year. And that's, you know, that's something where, you know, it, it's it's a savvy move by the agents and the teams to be able to do it. But, you know, the, the, the teams and the owners are going to come back screaming about it later on. And, you know, because it does, it does feel a little circumventy in a way, I guess. That's, that's a way to put it, but... I mean, it's it's not lowering cap hits. It's not doing anything too goofy, but it does make it a little easier at the end of those contracts. That if you if you need to move these guys and somebody's going to take on that cap hit, softens the blow for them pretty easy because they're only paying them a handful of cash comparatively right, to what the contract is. And that's what I was going to say. Like with Broussard, it made him much more tradable because Otto was like, "Well, we don't want to pay this two million dollar bonus." And the Rangers are like, "Okay, wait till Thursday. We'll pay it." And and so. You know, if the teams do that, they'll get better value. They will because otherwise, what would always happen? Teams would have to retain a certain amount of salary or whatever. It just sort of ends that process. And now, but you have to wait till a guy's within the last couple of years of his deal. That's the thing. Like, like next year or even at the deadline, Rick Nash will be a lot more tradable because right. you know, seven point nine for like a season and a half. All right, that's not so bad. Or even just one year, then that's more livable. Broussard's only got two more years left, but you do, yeah, that first three or four years, no one's going to touch a guy, but those last couple, then it does make them more tradable, where before, you were just outrighting these guys, and again, this is why I always told people, Girardi was never going to get bought out, who are you going to put in his place this year? You buy the guy out, he's going to get a job somewhere else, and then you've got to replace that roster spot, and you're paying him. Teams are very reluctant to do that unless they have someone to absolutely replace them. And so I think the Rangers, a year down the road, will be in that position, and then they can do it, and then the blow is not as bad either. Yeah. I think, that's, I think that, to me, is a spot where, you know, you look at Shea Weber's contract, and, you know, funny how all that bonus money got paid out so hard early on in that. I mean, that's, I mean that was the Flyers doing, but Nashville agreed to it. Yeah. So all that bonus money gets paid out in the beginning, you know, basically half of his contract almost. And, yeah. you know, the bonuses are, you know, essentially whittled down to almost, you know, even par now. And then he gets traded. So it, to me, it's not a coincidence that it's worked that it worked out that way. That Weber, you know, that Weber Subban deal happens, and Weber, you know, Weber ends up going because Montreal doesn't have to eat a lot of that money. Montreal could eat a lot of that money, but if they want to eat a lot of money, they could have just held on to Subban too. And and Nashville Nashville's in deep trouble with that contract because of the cap recapture penalties. I think mm -hmm. I saw a figure that. Uh, it could be a, as much as $24 million as a cap hit on Nashville, depending on when Weber decides to retire. And there's some people who say that there's sort of like an unspoken word here that when Weber is ready to retire that he gets traded back to Nashville so they can avoid the cap. And let me ask this question because it seems like it's a connecting of the dots kind of thing. This a little bit of an ownership situation that they have in Nashville where there's this lawsuit I wonder if moving Weber makes that easier for the eventual payout because this guy's going to get something, right? And so I, I just kind of wonder if they sort of eased up on finances there a little bit, knowing that, hey, at some point this case is going to settle and we're going to have to, you know, settle with our former partner. 
Yeah, I, maybe. I mean, you're still taking on a giant contract on the on the other side of it too. I mean, yeah. I don't know how much I don't I don't know how much of Subban's contract was bonus money, but you're still taking on less. that kind of money. I'm yeah, I it, I I've I've tried to stay away from owner drama stories. Yeah, yeah, me too. Possible. <laughs> trying to burn myself out on them the last the last five or six years. Yeah. Um, couple quick things. Um, Joe, the World Cup. Uh, it starts on September 17th, runs basically through to the beginning of October. Uh, the training camps will open up in late August. I'm not picking up on a lot of like excitement or anything. It's just like sort of like a lot of fans that I talk to are like, okay, let's get through this and get through the training camp and let's get the season started. It's not like not like the Olympics where they're like, okay, I'm really excited for this. There just doesn't be like, okay, let's just get through this. And I hope our players don't get hurt. Well, I, I think with the Olympics you have the built-in excitement because the season's, season's going on before the Olympics happens. So you've already got kind of like a built-in hype machine with games going on, and then you're watching, you know, you're watching guys, you know, teammates play each other in the NHL or, you know, guys, you know, we can remember, what was it, David Backus a few years ago going around beating up everybody who played for Team Canada. Before the uh, before the 2010 Olympics, I think it was, and you know he was going you know going up and beating up on Taves and Perry and all these guys and and doing that. I mean that's it's great for hype. I mean this you don't everybody's everybody's out of the cottage. Let's let's let's, let's face facts here. Everybody's on vacation. The, you know the sign is out out in front of everybody's house. They've gone fishing. So you know I think when we get to the end of August and you know the NFL training camps are winding down. And the NFL seasons just get ready to start up, and then, you know, that's when hockey fans start getting anxious because the NFL started up, and hockey fans, for whatever reason, ha have an axe to grind with every other league uh, that exists out there that that dares take attention away from the NHL. So I think when it when it comes to this, people are going to be getting anxious right around the right time, and I think that's going to help things out. I, one thing that's going to drive people crazy, though, is is when they go to see, you know, if they go to go watch a preseason game, that probably a lot of their guys aren't going to be there. I mean, I've already seen signs of the Red Wings, the Red Wings facility, where, you know, they already warned people buying tickets for training camp. They're like, listen, these seven to eight players aren't going to be here, so you know, don't be fooled. They right. won't be here. I, I think about Buffalo. You're not going to have you're not going to have Eichel, Leonard, and Ristolainen in there. So, I mean, those are those are three. Pretty important guys as far as storylines go this season that you're not going to be able to watch, you know, until those teams are eliminated. So that's that's it's a little bit of a bite for training camp, but I think most the way most people view training camp is like let's get this over with, let's get to the season. Toronto's not Toronto's not going to have their number one pick. They're not going to have a couple other players, and they're not going to have their coach, and they're not going to have their building. So they're going to be playing in Saskatoon and Halifax and St. Catharines and Hamilton. You know, it's going to be a traveling show for the Leafs. So I think they're the, actually the team that is sort of hit the hardest by this and sort of un, unseated by this. But I know, detect no excitement. I don't. I, right. Yeah, exactly. I, I, mean, I, I don't detect any. And then the other thing is, so Subban's deal, he's got a $2 million bonus this year, a $2 million bonus next year, none in 18 and 19, none in 19 and 20, and then two $6 million bonuses down the line. I think that's a very friendly deal if you're sort of looking to recoup some finances. So I think I think it did play into it, Joe. But, yeah, as far as the World Cup, maybe people in Europe would be very excited about it. Nobody in the States seems to, to be all that excited about it. Uh, Russ, Joel Erickson-Eck, Minnesota first-round pick from 2015. 
some indications that he may challenge for a job with the Wild uh, this upcoming season? Yeah, I, I, I look at it, I, I saw that he gained 15 pounds of muscle. And so he's been playing in the Swedish Hockey League for a couple of years. He's been playing a variety of roles and actually played a lot of fourth line in there because a lot of times you're playing with a lot of veterans and, and you get whatever playing time you can get. You know, if you think about it, even though he's only 19, he could be a perfect guy to come in and play a bottom pairing, you know, a bottom line role, whether it's third line center or fourth line center. He's used to doing it already. He's a good two-way guy. He actually skates great, scores down low. This is a very the, – the only thing missing from his game was the strength part, and now that that's there, he is going to challenge for a spot. Most likely he'll end up in the AHL, but, you know, it all depends. We, I think there's going to be injuries in the World Cup of Hockey, and for a kid like that, that could be his ticket to uh, to make it the big club. And no, I, I – I think back to um, I, th I think back to uh, World Junior Camp last summer, where two of the guys that really stood out for me for Sweden were 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 uh, Forsbacka Carlson and also Eriksson Ack. And Eriksson Ack impressed me because of his size and his ability to work in the corners. Yep. Uh, to me, he's a guy that he's got those 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 little things that coaches go gaga for yep. when it comes to doing those things in your in your own end of the ice. And also doing them in the offensive end when you're fighting for pucks and you're doing all that stuff, and he still has that tremendous amount of skill. I think, I think he's a guy. You know, I, Russ, I'm glad you you had like the clairvoyance to, to to kind of look at this and and see. You know, you know, we we read a story from Dan Myers about him, and and this is this this is a guy who's uh, to me he's he's a player to watch when Wild Camp opens up because there's a lot of potential there, and you know we've certainly seen a lot of foreign players in Minnesota really be able to jump jump up and, and grab things by the horns and, and just go with it. And he's the kind of guy where, you know, you look at their setup at center and it's like, okay, you got Miko Koivu, you've got Granlin, but it's like, is Granlin a better center or is he a better winger? Like, you got guys with, with those kind of questions he's around him. He's a face-off right? guy too. That's another thing, yeah. Yeah, and I, he's a very intriguing guy for them. I mean, if he ends up in Iowa to start the year, I mean, that's fine. But uh, but he's a guy that I think could, could, be, could be one of those sneaky, impressive guys who, winds up getting those maybe those fifth, fourth place votes on those Calder ballots. Uh, and finally, Brad Richards, uh, who has been talked about on Buzzcasts, Webcasts, and any other thing on Hockey Buzz for many a year, uh, retired uh, yesterday. Uh, 1,126 career games with five teams, uh, 298 goals, 634 assists in ni for 932 points. He won two Stanley Cups with Tampa Bay and Chicago, made the final with the Rangers, and won a Conn Smythe Trophy. Um, I don't know if those are Hall of Fame numbers, Russ, but uh, what do you think? Hall of Fame? I think, I think he'll be looked at really favorably when that comes, when that time comes. I think I think he may, he won't be a first ballot guy because th it just seems like now in the Hockey Hall of Fame they've adopted the Baseball Hall of Fame ridiculousness that, you know, to be first ballot you, you almost have to, you know, be the best player ever. It's just they just don't like first ballot guys very much. But if it's a weak year, you never know. Hint, hint. But but the thing is, I I like Brad Richards. I I don't think Ranger fans ever disliked him. I think they just disliked the contract. Right. He's a good guy. He was always a great interview. The most interesting thing I found out about Brad Richards was a couple of years ago in the Winter Classic that he had bought a home in the Hamptons, and I knew the minute he did that, this was coming. One contract more, two contracts more. Let's go to the Hamptons in the summer and wherever you want to go, you know, PEI in the winter. 
and 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 is there really winner? Um, and that's it. And I think that's what he had been planning for. And I'm happy for the guy. I, I think he was a heck of a player. I covered him in in both cups, and he was always a, a great player. He just, you know, like I said, it was just a bad contract that followed him. Joe Hall of Famer, not for Brad Richards. Uh, I think so. I I think he's he's going to be a guy that's going to be a good test for the modern stat level. Yep. Uh, when it comes to judging numbers uh, for the Hall of Fame, because I started, I, I started thinking about this because I mean we still have a handful of guys that have, you know, that that existed in that first the the end of the lively puck era, then made it through the dead puck era, and then you know into whatever the heck you want to call now. Right. Uh, you know, you think of guys like Solani and Yager who were just you know otherworldly type talents, but Richards was a guy who basically start he started in the dead puck era. Yeah. And you know, and you could basically call this era the dead puck, the second the continuation of the dead puck era because nobody scores, nobody scores goals. But this guy's been able to pile up points, and he's been able to do it his entire career. And I, to me, he's a Hall of Famer. And you know, I had a chance to watch him uh, in person in a preseason game in Syracuse back in 2001. Uh, Tampa Bay's Tampa Bay played Columbus because Columbus was Syracuse's. Uh, 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 NHL team, yep. and it, it's more of a Matthew Barnaby story than it is a Brad Richards story. But um, <laughs> but but Richards was was flying up the wing with the pocket. You know, I was impressed by his speed and everything. Seeing him, you know, first blush, you know, his basically, you know, before his first season in the NHL, and you know, a guy in Columbus named David Ling, who you know, if you know the AHL, you know David Ling, and he was right. a tough guy. He left his leg out there and tripped him up. You know, a knee-on-knee hit could have been awful. And I, I never saw Matthew Barnaby move faster to beat up a guy in my life for taking a run at a kid like that. And uh, I, I recall going down uh, between periods uh, for that game to interview Kevin Weeks, and uh, Barnaby was still in the trainer's room, still swearing up a storm, still mad at David Ling more than, you know, 20 minutes after he had, he had already fought him because he was so mad that, Somebody would do that to a kid playing one of his first, you know, one of his first few preseason games in the NHL, and yeah. you know, from the, I mean, from that point on, I mean, that was 2001. You know, three years later, he wins a Conn Smythe, and he's been a he's but he was a brilliant player his whole career. He's one of those guys that wasn't the goal scorer; he was the setup man, and he was yeah. a brilliant setup man. Yeah, and uh, one positive thing for him because of the compliance buyout with the Rangers, he's going to be getting payments until 2025-26. So he'll enjoy that extra money in the Hamptons for a very long time. Uh, Joe, thanks very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And uh, Russ and I will be back tomorrow with Eck. Um, remember, folks, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.